Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You join us in season three and we're well into the book of Matthew. And I do really appreciate each and every one of you who have decided to join me on this journey. If you are here for the first time, then why not consider hitting that subscribe button wherever you're getting this podcast from, and that way you'll not miss another single episode. Do hang around if you're here for the first time at the end, and I'll tell you of some ways in which you can uh, connect with this ministry and receive lots of other free teaching and Bible study resources. But with that said, I'll just say bye for now. Okay, today we're picking up in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to verse 40, and I'm really today thinking about how does Christ bring about division? That seems a rather counterintuitive statement, doesn't it? This is the second of two days that we're spending in Matthew chapter 10. Last time we thought about what it means to be a disciple under the opposition that disciples, followers of Jesus face. But today we discover that one of the outworkings of the opposition is that it appears that by choosing to follow Christ it can bring a type of division into our lives. So if you link in with yesterday, you may remember that last time we learned that God is in control and therefore we need never fear that we are alone and we should remember that God is in control, that he knows us and loves us to the point where it told us he has counted the number of hairs on our head. That's how much and intimately he is involved with us. And that's why we can put up with all the troubles of this world because we underneath we can know that God is in control and that he also cares about us. But then all of a sudden here in verse 32 the text takes a rather unusual turn. It tells us this, this is Jesus speaking remember, therefore whoever confesses me before men Him I will also confess before the Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So why did Matthew choose to take particular note of that and bring it up? Why bring that up here? Why does Jesus bring that up here? It almost seems a little bit out of place, doesn't it? Almost as if it's been crowbarred into the text at this point, considering what he's just said earlier. He's been saying, do not fear. And then he says, if you confess me before men, which of course is the very point of the passage up to this point, what he's been encouraging to do, commanding us almost, telling us to go and preach, but then adding that if we confess before men, he will confess us before my Father in heaven. So in other words, Jesus is saying, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you won't have a reason to fear. In fact, you're going to be rewarded by the fact that I'm going to stand before you and my Father in heaven and confirm that you have followed me. One commentator I read said, and I quote, Believers who deny the Lord before men will be denied the reward and the joy of hearing him say, Well done, good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat of Christ. 
I have concluded that what has been talked about here in this passage is actually the subject of heavenly rewards. If you actually drop down later and look at verse 42 in this passage, you shall see it there in black and white. Whenever he says, whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in my name, I say to you, assuredly, you will by no means lose this reward. So that, I believe, is the overall topic, if you like, of this passage. That's what we're talking about here. In verse 33, when he says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before the Father. So it's important to understand what that means. And I believe that means if you don't talk about the Lord or refuse to acknowledge him, you will miss out on Christ testifying on your behalf about the things that you've done for him, because clearly you haven't done them, and thereby you will not receive the heavenly rewards that some are promised in heaven by living the life of faith in and through opposition. Now I do believe Christians can do that sort of thing and still be Christians. They can in a sense deny the Lord, but that doesn't mean they're not Christians. In fact, if you think about it, do you remember the Bible tells us that Peter actually denied the Lord, but he still retained his position as a believer and indeed as a father of the church. Well, it's the same word deny used here, except with the prefix added, which makes it even stronger. In Peter's occasion, Peter did exactly that, but he did it in a way that was even more dramatic, more stronger than the way the word is indicated here. But it is the same word. So the other side of that coin means that if you don't speak up, Christ won't testify on your behalf and thereby you won't receive the rewards in heaven that some are due. So that, for no other reason, is a very good reason to put up with the opposition that we all face in this slice. Because if we do, we're going, in the greater scheme of things, in heaven to be rewarded. I personally really want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. This concept is important because if we recognise that, then any fear of God should diminish. But it's not the fear of God that is a fear that says God will punish us. But the true fear that we should have is not that God will punish us, it is that we will grieve someone who loves us. I want to hear him say, well done, Not as I stand before him that I haven't done everything I could have done or that I have even hurt the one who loved me because I denied what he meant to me. All right, let's just pause here for a second. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that service involves suffering, which means things like very specifically warned about here. It could mean things like being falsely accused of things or things like being in situations where you are going to feel afraid, possibly even in danger. But also interwoven into this passage is the reason that we should put up with things like that. And the big reason is because in the knowledge that God is in control and he's caring about us, then we should not fear. And also that we, if we persevere, are going to be rewarded by him when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, there's another type of suffering we might experience, he says in this passage, which we haven't touched on yet. So I'd like to do that for a moment. Beginning in verse 34, he says this, and this is where I got the title of today's talk from. 
Do not think I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. That's a strong statement to suddenly appear here, isn't it? Now he's been telling us, of course, in this passage that we're going to face conflict. And then he's described that type and those types of contact in details. And another aspect of it is here, and it's probably the most difficult and challenging for us to hear, when he says, I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against mother, etc., and even a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. What he's describing here is whole households getting into arguments. He's describing conflict, and amazingly he says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Because the truth, of course, is like a sword. It falls and divides people along lines of truth and error. Wow, is this really Jesus talking here? Well, it is. But be clear, he's not talking about conflict in the sense of military contract. He's not talking about Christians bearing arms and going to war. He's talking about division and conflict falling in social and family situations. As he says very clearly, it's about a mother and a father, a daughter and the parents, etc. Even in-laws fighting amongst each other. Now, you're probably thinking... Don't let it jump into your mind that a conflict between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law isn't that unusual. But the difference here in all of this family conflict he's talking about, what he is teaching about is a division that falls in the context of it being spiritual in nature. He's talking about people and families dividing and taking sides specifically over their view of him, over their view of Jesus. This is not talking about conflict in families for conflict's sake. That's the point. He's saying there's going to be conflict and there's going to be arguments, but people are going to decide what side of the line they stand on. You know, some people just hate conflict. Maybe you're one of those people who count among that number. I know my wife, she really despises conflict and she will do almost anything she can to avoid it. And it's interesting to me that conflict, particularly within families, is really painful. Did you know that some researchers at a university called UCLA have discovered that the same part of the brain that experiences physical pain is activated by emotional conflict? According to the brain, conflict, including social rejection, hurt just as much as if it was a bodily injury. So getting into an argument, especially with your own family, can indeed be very traumatic. But you must not be afraid, even of family tension. It's going to come about if you choose to be a disciple of Christ, and some people close to you may even hate you. But then Christ says in 38 and 39 of this chapter 10, He who loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Do these things, he says, and if you do not, you're not being worthy. And he says this phrase about being not being worthy three times. So it's important that we understand what it means. Now, I think the important point I need to make here, he's not talking about being worthy in the sense of having access to heaven, because heaven is a gift received by everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. If he were talking about getting into heaven, that would mean he was talking about salvation. 
but he's talking here very specifically about our faith life and how it should inspire service and living our lives in that attitude of service and how by doing that, that will bring about opposition and studying. So it's about doing those things in order to be worthy of the rewards that we will gain once in heaven. You've got to love the Lord more than any human relationships, it tells us. So in a sense, you lose, you give up this life in order to gain a better life in the future. It says elsewhere in scripture that he who loses his life for his sake will gain his life in eternity. So if you have this line of division falling within family or any other relationships and you choose to hang on to that relationship in spite and you choose to step back over the line and take that perspective of the other side where you deny Jesus Christ, then it's going to have eternal consequences for you in terms of the rewards you will receive and the testimony you will receive by Christ himself at the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, you've got to put your service of God above and beyond everything else. That's the path of life that Jesus says we are to choose. And of course, if we don't do that, we lose out. If we don't persevere with the trials of life, we lose out. We lose hold of those possessions that are secure in Christ. Jesus himself says, if you don't hold on to this, then you need to understand the potential of what you're going to lose in the future. But never mind the future, in the everyday, if you love the Lord and you hold on to him and follow him and be a faithful disciple, that actually enhances your relationship with God in this life, as well as storing up treasure in heaven for you. So you don't lose, what you do is you win in this life and the life to come. Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, there was a Bible teacher named Matt DeHaan of the Radio Bible Class fame. Now, I've probably said it before, but I used to listen to hours of his teaching on tape when I was driving around in my car. I listened to him for years, and he once wrote about the boyhood game that he used to play called Domino's. Now, this was back in the day before Domino's was a type of pizza, and he said this. In my boyhood days, Domino's was a favourite indoor game. Some time ago, whilst visiting an old people's home, I came upon a rare sight of people playing Domino's. A flood of memory surged over me as I remembered my own boyhood days playing the game of dominoes. Now the unusual thing about dominoes, he said, is that you win by losing. To win in dominoes, you must lose all your dominoes. And whoever gets rid of all the tiles first wins the game. The purpose of the game is to be reduced to nothing. So in order to get to the top, you've got to be reduced to nothing. It's not like football or tennis or any other sports where the highest number of runs or points or goals scored determines the winner. No, with dominoes, it's the one who can reach nothing first that has succeeded. That's an interesting picture to hand paints, isn't it? You see, in the life of being a follower of Christ, you lose your life. And if you lose your own personal life by making Jesus and being a disciple of him a priority, then in fact, you actually win. And that's why we are able to put up with all the bad stuff in the world that comes our way as a result of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we do that because of what we gain in this life and what we get out of it in the end. Service can involve suffering. It involves being in a situation where you may be afraid 
afraid to speak up for Christ or just to identify with him. And it can involve being in things where people are ill-disposed against you. People who are close to you may turn against you. But it's telling us here that the benefits way outweigh the disadvantages because we know that God is in control and we know that you will be rewarded and provided for in this life and in the life to come. So put the Lord first and do what he says we should do. But let me tell you this, friends, the big reason why you should try and put up with the difficult stuff in this life is because ultimately you will become more like Christ in this life. We get to become more like Jesus in this life as well as the promise of the place in heaven with treasure stored up in the life to come. I hope this passage has helped you really understand that God is indeed in control. And by living the way Jesus says we should live, by being his disciple, we should definitely be able to develop that sense that God really does love us and that we can have the assurance that when we stand before him in the future, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Why put up with the opposition in this life? Well, just look at what you will gain. You gain to be a little bit more like Christ day by day and you get to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and hear Christ testify on your behalf that you are one of his and you get to hear the fact that he will say, well done, that Father God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Someone once said there were only two options in life. You spare your life or you sacrifice your life. There's no middle road for the Christian believer. But you know what, if you put the Lord first and you love him and put him above everything else, if you serve him and he means more to you in every sense, well then it is true, in a sense you lose your life in service to him. Which means in the final analysis, loving him over everything else will be the life you live and it is the life of faith and reward. You see, we all, everyone chooses to either live their life for themselves or for God. Many years ago in England there was a statesman, a Prime Minister in fact, named William Gladstone. Gladstone was perceived and is still perceived as a great political leader. As a matter of fact he was actually involved in British politics for 62 years and he was also a committed Christian throughout his life. He was called the champion of the average man. He was a man who was thoroughly devoted to his profession as a politician and to the high states of office that he served in throughout his life. But Christ always came first in his life. It was written of him that on one occasion during his administration there was a political crisis and at two in the morning he was still writing a key speech that he had to give the next day. It had to be very carefully worded because it could mean the difference between victory and defeat not just for him politically but for his whole political party and the government of the day. But that night, as he sat at his desk in the wee small hours of the morning, working on the speech, a family friend came to the door and said his son was dying, and he begged him to come and speak to his son about the Lord, because the young man had always admired Gladstone. It was said, without hesitation, Gladstone got up and went and spent the remainder of the night with that man's son, reading the Bible to him, and talking about the way of salvation. And it is said that during that night he led this young man to Christ. 
Now the young man, he did die, but it is also said that Gladstone spent the remainder of the night spiritually ministering to that family. And by doing that, he was seen to put the needs of that family above and beyond his own political career. The next morning, of course, he still had to give the address in Parliament, and he wasn't very well prepared. He'd certainly recorded later that he didn't feel that he was prepared as he wanted to be as he stood before Parliament that day, but it is also recorded that he spoke with freedom and power, and historians then and today say he delivered probably the greatest oration of his life. It was so powerful that many say it carried him and his party to victory and another term of office. And yet he put the Lord first that previous night by serving him above everything else. Now I can't guarantee that if we're disciples and followers of Christ and we live for him that we will win in that way in this life. But I can tell you by choosing the life of a disciple I can guarantee in fact that by following him you will become more like him. And in our case the more we become like Christ in this life the more we will be rewarded by our Father in heaven in the life to come. C.S. Lewis once preached a sermon on this passage of scripture and he concluded by saying this, and I paraphrase it slightly, the cost of ministry is high but the rewards are great too. What greater reward can there be than to be confessed by the Son before the Father in heaven that you were his good and faithful servant? So friends, persevere. Understand that opposition will come, but if it comes, he will give us the resources that we need in this life and the blessings and rewards in the life to come. Amen? Amen. Okay, podcast people, thank you so much for joining me today. I do hope you found that helpful. I'm so thrilled to have so many thousands of people around the world on this journey with me through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Thank you for each and every one of you who've made the decision to make the study of the Bible with me part of the rhythm of their daily lives. Please, if you are finding this helpful, consider sharing a link to the either the podcast website, thebibleproject.buzzsprite.com, or just a link to one of these episodes so that other people can have the, the Bible brought within the orbit of their daily lives. And maybe they might be encouraged to make a decision to make it part of the pattern of their daily life as well. If you are here for the first time, please note that there is always a transcript as well as links to other places like the Facebook page, the YouTube channel and places like Patreon and LinkedIn where I put more formal structured always free discipleship courses and training material so please have a look there if you're not getting an active link to those places through wherever it is you get your podcasts from then as I say just go through to the bibleproject.buzzsprite.com and you'll certainly find the links active there in the host website so there we are for today We'll continue our journey together, I trust, and we meet back here again. Well, tomorrow it will be for me, whatever day it happens to be for you. But I'll see you again soon, I hope, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.